and welcome back to another episode of the Fit Method Podcast. I'm your host, David Lohman, and we got some special guests, some local guests, the Philno Twins uh, of Philno Coaching. Some, some people call it Phil Now Coaching, <laughs> as I just learned. Um, Megan and um, Kelly, gosh, Megan and Kelly. So Kelly just got married last year. Megan just got married like last week, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but I'll let y'all introduce yourselves briefly. Just give a little bit of your background and maybe like a little life update if you want. Okay. Well, I'm Kelly and I hope you can distinguish our voices on this podcast and I, yeah, I got married last December and I retired as a professional triathlete. I competed for 11 years as a pro and finished on a high, qualifying for all three world championships in the last year, got third at the U.S. national championship and then 15th in the world. And then um, I grew up playing every sport imaginable and played collegiate tennis at Davidson College, and then stumbled upon triathlon years later. I'm Megan, and I, yes, I did just get married last week after the World Championships. A few days later, I got married in Hawaii, so it's been a whirlwind. But I also played tennis at Davidson and played singles and doubles with Kelly and then grew up playing soccer, basketball, gymnastics, and tennis and then I got into marathons after that. And then after marathons, wanted a new challenge and learned how to swim and bought a bike and got into triathlon. And last year, I finished number one in the world in my age group. And yeah, it's been a good year this year. And I'm happy to be on this podcast. Are you retiring as well? I'm not retiring. Okay, not retiring. Yeah. No, she's not retiring. <laughs> Her coach won't let her. Ah, uh, got it. Okay. Not, I'd be doing this until I'm like in my 70s, so we'll see. Okay, <laughs> but you are retired, correct? I am retired, <laughs> yes. But running? Yes, I, I run a lot now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What was, before we get into the fun questions, what was y'all's best event of those three in the, like what are you strongest at? Running, biking, then swimming. Those are your, that's the yeah. order of your yeah. best? yes. I would say running, and then I improved the most on the bike, but then swimming's definitely my weakness. I didn't grow up a swimmer, so it's hard when you're competing against people that swam, you know, since they were five years old and all that. So it is always interesting, like, coming out of the water behind your competition and then, like, each Having to catch up. <laughs> yes. But it's actually more fun that way than... Well, yeah, playing catch-up versus <laughs> being in first the whole yes. time. Like the psychological part of that too, right? Right. And so college career, we're going to start there. So you transition from college athletics to professional sports. Obviously, that's that can be a challenge. Any transition in life can be challenging. Can you share a specific moment or a decision that shaped your transition into the world of triathlons? It doesn't matter yes. who starts. <laughs> I actually... I, I actually ran col um, collegiate. I was a runner at Davidson for a couple of years, my last two years, and then had extra eligibility. So I went to Duke. So I did start running in college. And um, so that was a big jump from tennis to running. And so I had a little bit of a background in swim, bike, run. Um, and then I was used to training like 50 to 60 miles a week every day and really focused on having a performance goal. And then I 
you know, was done with Duke and I got really bored. I just had like no specific goal. And two of my friends from Davidson, um, we would just go to the gym after work and lift weights every day. And one of the guys was like, hey, let's do a triathlon. And I was like, what is a triathlon? And he said, oh, you have to swim, you have to bike, and then you run. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. So I just <laughs> um, sure, why not? learned how to swim in my apartment gym on a six-week plan. So I trained six weeks for this and did not know how to swim. Megan and I actually failed a swim test when we were trying to scuba dive. We literally had no, like, no background in swimming. And then um, I borrowed someone's bike, didn't know you had to pump up a tire. So I raced with flat tires and then ended up getting third, actually, third overall. And I was like, this is so fun. (laughs) And then I was enjoying um, having something to, like, a specific goal to shoot for again after doing sports, you know, since I was 10 years old. And then going from that to nothing Mm -hmm. was just a big challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, mine was actually, I was a junior in college studying abroad in Australia. And one of my friends wanted us to, I was in Queensland and he wanted us to go to Noosa and do a triathlon. And I thought he was crazy and I didn't want to mess up my tennis game and all that. And so I turned him down, but that kind of sparked my curiosity for triathlon. And then years down the road, it actually all blossomed and it happened. But yeah, that's when I was first interested in the sport. Did you start after Kelly? I did. I started, I was living in Hilton Head. And then when I moved to Charlotte, eventually I started. And it was probably like a couple seasons after my sister started. Okay. Then when did the coaching all start with the business? In 2012. 2012. And you yes. started what year? Did you I start started competing? triathlon in 2009. Okay. So about three hour, three years after you like really got into it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. I was just trying to see where that timeline was. Okay, cool. So then uh, a follow up to this collegiate sports and team, like the teamwork aspect. How has your background in team sports influenced your approach to individual competition? Like being in triathlon because you're competing against yourself essentially. I mean, you're competing against others, but yeah, you're not really on a team per se. Right. But, and that's the thing with tennis. It's such an individualized sport, but playing in college, it was such a team sport and that was amazing to experience. And I think it's very similar to triathlon because triathlon, if you're doing an Ironman, you're out there nine, 10 plus hours and training many hours solo could be, but you also do have a team, whether it's your rehab specialist team, strength training, you know, coach, your actual coach, your teammates who you're training with. So it's, you don't feel solo. And so I think you also have like a larger purpose in the sport because there's more than just you doing the work basically. Right. Yeah. I would kind of compare it to, collegiate tennis because when you're out there competing especially we played singles and doubles together but when you're competing as a you know singles player you're literally out there fighting for every single point by yourself yeah but you're fighting more than that like when you're growing up playing juniors it's literally you and your ranking but then when you get to college it's this completely new incredible environment where you're fighting each point for something greater than yourself because you're trying to help the team win and so when you get to college athletics there's 
this great, you know, you have your personal trainers and you have your coaches and assistant coaches and your people that are, you know, helping you in every direction there, which you might not have experiencing as a junior because you're more isolated. And so I think the, that when I got to triathlon, it was a very similar from um, what I experienced as a college athlete because it's the same thing. It's an individual sport, yet it is a very selfish sport and you need to rely on other people. Like mm. you need a team behind you because you're never going to be successful doing it alone. It truly does take a village and you need support from, you know, your physical therapist, your chiropractor, your personal trainer, and your rehab specialist and um, your specific coach and dietitian. So there's so many. And then not only that, but race day support. You need people there telling you splits, telling you how far back mm. the people are that are chasing you down and coming close to you. And you have to tell you, you need people out there telling you, okay, you're only a minute back from, you know, three girls that you can go get that podium. So even race day, it's all about having a team. And, you know, when you're doing Ironman, it takes so much brain power mm. that if you're there alone trying to do everything by yourself, it's really difficult. But if you help, if you have a team that's supporting you, then it makes the Ironman day so much better because you only have a certain amount of mental capacity and that village is absolutely essential for success. Yeah. So that, for a pers personal example for y'all, when you were in Hawaii, like what kind of team did y'all have around Megan? Because you were there, obviously, so you're part of the team. But right. who else? So does I'm her coach, so right. I was there. <laughs> yeah. And then we had our uh, massage therapist who basically he travels to a lot of the big races and he is based in Arizona. So whenever we go to like high level world championship races, he's always there. So cool. we had our massage therapist and then, um, her now husband was there, fiance at the time. And then my parents and my husband. So I coach her, she had her massage therapist and then, you know, we were all out there as well as other teammates. Um, but from a on-course standpoint, she had a lot of help when she was there prior to the race because my dad was driving her everywhere. Was you know She didn't have to go get her own food and all that. Like We took care of all those details to just make her life so much easier so she could just focus on mentally preparing for the day right. and not walking around everywhere, walking like three miles to go you know somewhere and I think that set her up for, you know, getting a podium at the world championships because, you know, we have a team in place and we know what to do to help, you know, her succeed. The less decisions you can make yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And, and keeping really, her stress yeah. lo as low as possible. Absolutely. So yeah. she can sleep and recover. Right. That's <laughs> no, huge. So we're going to trans transition more to talking about the triathlon world. Um, sharing your strategies for maintaining motivation and discipline through your training journey. Like how has that been for both of y'all? For me, I just feel like mood follows action. And a lot of times I don't necessarily get up and I'm excited to go train and do this really hard workout, but I still go out there and do it. And a lot of times I start enjoying it or I change my perspective. So I think that's really key for me and everything. Yeah. And for me, it was almost like I did not want to depend on motivation. I feel like so often people 
rely on being motivated to do something. But for me, it was more habit formation. It was like, this is what I'm going to do every day. And this is, you know, this is my greater purpose. And this, and if I, you know, looked ahead to that greater purpose, like there are plenty of days where it was cold, dark, or a hundred degrees out. And I did not want to do my workout, but I did it anyways, despite not being motivated. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what enabled consistency to happen is, actually to not rely on being motivated because motivation comes through performance and through enjoyment of it. And yes, there were things I did that helped me be motivated. For instance, one thing was um, switching to a gym that had an outdoor pool Mm. 24 hours a day, you know, throughout the entire year, even in the winter, because I love the sun and I love being outside and that environment was huge for me. So once I was able to, you know, to start swimming outside every day, even in December, that just it helped me to enjoy swimming. And right. when you do enjoy something, it's easier to be motivated to do it. So small changes like that um, helps. And then also relying on other people. So for really hard workouts, like setting up, you know, training dates with people and mm. they're there and they're pushing you and then you're having fun together. You're having fun suffering together. So that made such a difference in helping me to stay motivated throughout my career. Yeah. Plus training yeah. trips. I would love going places and meeting friends um, like in Arizona or California and just, you know, yeah, Maui and, and you're getting new stimuli, you're actually experiencing different terrain and environments. And that was highly motivating for me. And then I would come back from a trip, like feeling extra, you know, inspired. For sure. And I think as far as discipline, like we're not overly rigid in our life, like in a sense, I mean, you know, I mean, I would say I'm type A and everything, but if like a workout doesn't go according to plan. I don't obsess over it. I'm like, this is one workout out of a thousand workouts. So it doesn't, it's, it's just a tiny piece of the larger puzzle. So I think that helps not being so rigid because we just, yeah, we shake it off and move on and all that. So, but at the same time, like I think with our discipline and motivation, like we are so consistent with our training. I mean, I really don't remember any workouts this entire year that I skipped. And so I just, I just get it done. Yeah. And I think and there's that no, helps so honestly, much. if you're competing at an elite level, there's no excuse. Right. Like you yeah. can't just <laughs> skip a workout, you know, unless you're sick or injured, obviously, yeah. but you, you always have to find a way to get it done. And whether you modify it for, if you're time crunched, you know, there's ways to get in the key part of the workout. And we sure. are both time crunched athletes, but we find ways to be able to get the work done yeah. despite being time crunched. So I think this would help the listeners just so they can kind of see what it's like in y'all's world. Give us like a, a either a day in the life or a week in the life of training when, when you're in the peak of training for like world championships. Like what does that look like? I don't even know what it looks like. So I'm retired now. <laughs> um, so I just run every day. I run a lot. But, but, um, but when you were. Back when I was actually training, I averaged about 24 hours a week, um, you know, while also having a full-time job. And that that was in my big block for Kona. So not like throughout the year, but when I was training for the world championship in the biggest block of time. And um, so a typical day would be, or typical week, I'll just give you a week, would be about five swims a week, doing about 20, over 20K, 20 kilometers a week. Total. Um, 
for total volume. Yeah. And then about 100K worth of running a week and then about 300K worth of biking, which, you know, the biking was a lot less than the majority of professional triathletes, but it, most of professional triathletes don't have a full-time job too. Sure. And so a lot of my biking that I did was on a trainer inside. And so it's a lot more efficient too. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say that would be a pretty good range and it's consisting of more than one workout every day. So you're doing a, sw- a swim and a bike mm-hmm. or a swim and a run or bike and a run or something like that. Yes. And yeah. I would say mine was a lot slimmer than that. I still, as an amateur had, I still have high volume of training, but I would say it's anywhere from like 10 hours to I peak at like maybe 22 hours at most, but, and I'll do like four days of swimming, maybe four days of bikes, biking four runs. That's usually but a lot of times I'll do double sessions. I mean, there's probably one day a week where I'll only swim kind of deal. So any days off. Or- so the days off mm. would, would like Megan is different because she never gets injured in her entire career. She's never really been injured. So That's I great. don't give her a day off every week. Whereas most of my athletes, I give one day off every single week. Sure. But um, for Megan, what I would do is give her two, days often of just legs off day. So it'd just be swimming and mobility. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and then just life circumstances, you have a day off, whether it's like travel, that kind of thing. But sure. yeah, I'm not, I, I don't take a weekly day off, which is the opposite of how we train most of our athletes. Cause I don't, you, you do need a day to refresh mentally and physically. But for me, like I am fine. Like I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not an athlete that gets burned out easily and all that. So an easy swim is a recovery for me. Okay. Wow. I don't know if that's normal in your your world to do most pros not take time off like weekly. That. Yeah. Like what? I mean, you have a lot of pros training, like the Ironman world champion this year trained 30 to 40 hours a week. So wow. okay. that's a full-time job for them. A full-time them. job. Yeah. 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 Okay. So my follow-up question was, we know tri- triathlons are very, de- very demanding. How do you navigate the line between pushing your limits and avoiding burnout or injury? And she obviously is a great person to answer that since she's never been injured. Yeah. But there's, it's what she does <laughs> to avoid the injury too. So yeah. we have yeah. to give her a lot of credit for not being injured because a lot of athletes might see that it's on their plan. And so they have to do it despite, but what she'll do is say her Achilles is really tight. She knows that she could develop plantar fasciitis that could take her out or for Achilles month, months or Achilles <laughs> nice or something um as a result of that but what she ends up doing is just backing off and maybe like you just swim without pushing off the wall on Mm -hmm. that left side so you're not you know activating that muscle but um I would yeah definitely give her a lot of credit for that and how I mean yeah I'm 40 years old turning 41 soon and so it is not normal to just not be sidelined by injuries yearly. And so that's definitely been a gift. Like I might feel a little bit of tightness and then I'll roll my foot or that, or get an appointment for rehab. So that's really helpful. But I think also we've just have good genes that we don't get injured often. I mean, the only times I've been sidelined is through bike crashes. So 
not, not like a stress fracture or anything like that. And I mean, I definitely don't sleep enough. So that's something I need to work on for recovery. But yeah, I think I know how important recovery is mm-hmm. and it's one of the disciplines of triathlon. Right. So yeah. I, and she also knows how to, I think we know how to take our easy days easy. Mm-hmm. So if it's truly an easy day, you go easy. Whereas a lot of people, they'll do their marathon pace on easy days. Well, <laughs> our marathon pace might be yeah. two minutes slower or two. we're going to go over two minutes slower on an easy day than what you're running a marathon in. Mm-hmm. Whereas the majority of most people listening to podcasts will do all their easy runs at their marathon pace. Yeah, I think that is so one of the I think biggest that helps. I go easy when I'm supposed to go and easy. And then- you yeah. go hard when you're supposed to, and then it saves you to have the right effort on race day Right when it yeah. really counts. It doesn't matter what you do on a training day. Right. You want to perform on the actual race day. So from a cardio, not having ego and being yeah. like, I'm cool running two minutes slower than race pace today, and this is helping my body. Whereas, you know, if you're overpacing every day, you're not going to perform. Right. right. So like an easy run, if you're getting cardiovascular benefits if your heart rate is, you know, at that 60%. So why go faster than that? Because you're saving your joints and muscles and all that, and you're still getting the benefits of the purpose of the recovery run and stuff. So yeah, I'm just a big proponent of taking the easy days easy and it sets you up to, you know, smash the hard days. <laughs> I think yeah. that takes a lot of maturity too, as an athlete, because so many people just want to train hard all the time but you only have so much bandwidth to be able to withstand that. And that's why she hasn't had very many injuries because she knows her body so well. Whereas I'm sure you've seen it with younger, more amateur athletes. They don't, they have, maybe they need to learn it the hard way the first time. Absolutely. And I think it also has helped the longevity of our careers too. And we really have avoided burnout because we aren't like, crushing ourselves on a daily basis, even though, you know, we are working hard overall, but we're smart about it. And then we also take that off season like and off feel season refreshed off season. You know, you yeah. have the time off. So, so after. What, yeah. What does that look like? What y'all's off season? Yeah. I, I would say at the beginning, like after a big Ironman, I like to have a mid season break for athletes for a week just okay. to refresh them and everything. So normally if you have two A races after that A race, you refresh and unload for that whole week. Yeah, that's no swim, bike, run. And then to be honest, it's time away from swimming, from biking and Mm -hmm. running. And it might just be like days off. It might be yoga, mobility, getting back in to the gym and doing strength and core. And then big proponents of hiking too, especially in the fall. And, you know, it's beautiful out and everything too. And just literally having that time where you're not doing swim, bike, run. And stepping away from the sport. Yeah. How, how long is your off season in, in the Ironman realm? So it really depends on what the season looked like. Yeah. And then also just motivation wise, how you are doing. And then also what your next season looks like. So we have to take all of that in consideration. Because a lot of times you might say your big A race is October. You might not have another race until May. So that's a huge amount of time right. that, you know, and throughout my career, I tested everything. Like I tested getting back into it right away, having a really long extended off season. Um, I think one season I was really burnt out. So I didn't bike for three months. And then that was my worst season ever after okay. not being on the bike. And so then another time I was, I tore my ACL and I had to not run for six months 
And that ended up being my best season ever after those last two seasons. So it's interesting um, how it works out. But my motivation was really high after the, you know, career ending injury. Sure. And whereas, you know, after stopping biking, thinking this would help me mentally, it just put me so far behind of where I needed to be because I had to restart in a sense. Well, plus you said you were strongest on the run. So maybe taking time off the run that you were just able to pick that up more naturally. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That makes sense. Okay. So as a professional triathlete, what is one piece of unconventional advice that you've received that has made a significant impact on your training or your performance? One thing I actually had advice I had my ferritin levels are extremely low which is not good as an endurance athlete but there's not really much I can do I mean I eat meat and everything so yeah one time I was having my blood levels all looked at by a doctor and he basically said my CK levels were like not in a good range he's basically this was like six weeks out from world championships. And he just said, you're either not training hard enough. Like you're not training hard basically, or you have this supernatural ability to recover. And Mm. he's like, I don't think it's that. (laughs) And so I was like, okay. But anyways, I kind of used that insight from him for next year. We increased my intensity and everything. And I think it just really did help. That was like my breakthrough season Mm. and everything. So we kind of took what he said and used it in how we designed my year. And I think that was just very helpful to just realize like I have way more in me than I think I can. And I can do a lot more than I, you know, probably could push myself. But, you know, there's a fine line because I have so much outside of sport too. So I know I could do more intensity and more volume, but it's just like that would compromise other parts of my life and my work and stuff. So yeah, there's just a kind of an art and a science to it, but I think that was kind of a unique thing that we learned together. Yeah. And then for me, more is not more. (laughs) (laughs) That was the advice. Um, because as an endurance athlete, you think, more is more. You're always going to get better because all you need to do is swim, bike, and run more. But I learned um, how more is not more. That's the um, not what what you would expect as a you know a sport that requires so much time. And but for me, just focusing on the quality and mm-hmm. having purpose for everything I did rather than junking it up every week just made a big difference. And I was so much fresher too with um, not overdoing anything. And it's hard to tell someone for sure um, who wants to be as successful as possible that you you think that more is always more, but there's an importance to having specific quality and purpose behind everything you're doing. Well, I think that also ties into the culture we live in because it's like, they just assume if, if this this much is good, like more must be, mean better. Yeah. Like that's just the culture we live in now. Exactly. And we teach a lot of the people that come through here is like, what's the minimum that we can do to create change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, you know, blow you out in one workout and then you never want to see us again. Like <laughs> that's not a good plan either. Yeah. You, so you alluded, Megan, to uh, your ferritin levels. How, this is, I didn't have this written down. Um, I just has a nutritionist guy. Yeah. How often were you getting blood work done? 
during your training? Not enough. Not as much as we needed yeah. to. Okay. Just I was I, just curious. I knew that yeah. my ferritin levels are low and I've tried to take iron supplements. I, I eat red meat and there's not really much change. So I just don't want to stress myself out because yeah. that's how my body is and it, but it I, should I'm be regular. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't get yeah. it enough and yeah. I just don't want it to like mess with my head before. Sure. A big race and but stuff. But now would be a good time because she's yeah. in her off season to get it checked. And okay. See. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I had some questions about your faith. Obviously, that's a big part of what Gary and I do running our business. I know it's such an integral part of your, your life. Um, how does your relationship with Jesus and how, does that, has, how has that impacted your approach to sports mentally and emotionally? I know it's a pretty open-ended question, but. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, it has a massive impact on everything we do, but it really just keeps the sport in perspective. I like to tell Megan before every race that um, just to have faith over fear and God already has it planned out and mapped out. So just breathe, stay calm because it's already mapped out. Yeah. And I think um, I just had a really pivotal moment in my career. This was when I was an amateur and I had just set the American amateur record in Austria. And a couple of days after the race, we were exploring and we went on this hike and we were looking over like the beautiful mountaintops. And I just felt like, Ooh, I just, I just really felt like I had heard from God. Like I just hit this monumental lifetime achievement and I just felt so empty afterwards. Mm. And I think it was just him saying like, you know, I'm enough. Like I'm all you need. You know, you just hit this most miraculous achievement ever, you know, from the talent that I gave you and you're feeling completely empty. So mm. if you keep just searching for more and more, you know, you're still going to feel empty unless you're seeking me. And so that was just a pivotal moment in my life and my career to just be like, all right, you know, this is awesome. Like he's given me this talent and I'm using it for his glory, but whatever's the end result, like it's okay. I still have my faith and I have him despite my performance. So it kind of eradicated my performance-based mentality that I had lived my life like going after and just said, okay, just hands up. Like you're okay because you have me and I don't care how you achieve in this world. Mm. And I guess for me, it just keeps me humble because I know that everything I am is a gift from above. And so I think that's really important. And like Kelly said, it gives us a good perspective. So no matter how the race day unfolds, like our value is not in a race day performance. It's like who God says we are. And so that's helpful. And just also, I get really nervous before races because I just have high expectations and I want to do my best. Sure. But I just also like sometimes feel this like peace and calmness. And it's just like she said, you know, God goes behind us, before us and beside us. And so I feel like, you know, he's there with us. And so no matter how the day unfolds, like it's going to be okay. So he paves the way. Like a lot of times when I don't feel like there's a way or I'm so intimidated by the swim when there's like thousands of people swimming on top of you and all that. And so it just kind of gives you a piece to keep going when it's hard and everything. It's, it's a purpose greater than yourself. Yeah, right? exactly. So it gives you like a drive, 
you know, when you're like at the end of yourself, that's like when you're at the beginning of his strength. And right. so you keep going when you're, at, yeah, just so tired. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, <clears throat> I know y'all are both married now, probably thinking about, you know, family and stuff. So I, I had a couple questions in regards to this, but obviously you're not parents yet, but you're think, probably thinking about that. Um, so balancing professional sports and family life, I know that's going to be a unique challenge. What strategies have, have y'all been able to develop or trying to currently develop to maintain that balance as you try and step into a new season of family life? Yeah, so <laughs> it's been a whirlwind because I literally just got married probably, what, a week or two ago? I don't even know. It's all a blur. And then now I have three stepchildren. And so this is my first week with them. So we have them for a week on and a week off. But since we are gone, it's like 14 straight days. And so, yeah, it's all new to me. And wow. so it's just like, wow. And so I think it's just, I want to be fully invested in them and there for them. And I also want my own children with my husband. So yeah, it's going to be a lot, but I also know that my sport, like it, it, I just feel like this is like a gift from God and I feel alive doing it. So I also want to be able to like balance that well and be the best mom that I can be as well. So I just, how are you going to do it? I, tell tell you know, the listeners how you're going to balance it all. Exactly. <laughs> they want to hear gonna how fi- the number fi- one girl in the world can figure this out. Yeah. You'll have to get back to me maybe next year. Yeah, maybe I I'll have a, a good rhythm. But right now I think it's just, you know, when you're with the children, you're like fully there. You're not on your phones and all that. And you're like playing with them, like helping them out. But then also like you find pockets of space where it's like you get your work done or you go for your run, that kind of thing. So I think it's just like figuring all that out. Yeah. So well, I, th- I think it comes <laughs> down to planning ahead, right? Definitely. So you can't react to that. You'd yeah. have to be proactive, you know, maybe on a Sunday sitting down, looking at your calendar yes. for the week and figuring out when, if you know that calendar, what exactly. it looks like. And thankfully I have a really good husband that is just, he knows like, triathlon is one of my passions and he supports that fully because you know there's a lot of people that wouldn't support it that they're like oh it takes too much time you have to be here Mm -hmm. and so he doesn't have me feel squashed with it so I don't know obviously we haven't experienced what that will look like because I just finished my season and I just got married but I have confidence that we'll figure out the right path when the time comes for all that Good luck with that. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you want to give a shot at it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she'll be able to do it because she's a good, she's really good with managing her time. Right. And being efficient with everything. So you, when you have more on your plate, you always find ways to get it done. I mean, just even in college, when we were in season, you were always so much more productive when you had tr- practice every day. Right as opposed to off seasons done, then for some reason you couldn't ever get anything done. So mm-hmm. I think the more you have to do, the more efficient you are yeah. as I mean, well. You think, you think about like the people like CEOs and stuff, yeah. like crazy busy, but they get so much done. It's, it's like the people that have all the free time, they don't know what to do with their free time. Right. So they don't do anything. Exactly. <laughs> right. So true. And then my last question in regards to this was, do you, do you see it affecting your perspective on your careers and your goals? either in triathlon or like in family life? 
I would just say overall, like my heart's desire since I was a little girl has been to be a mom and it's been really long and just has not happened like when I thought it would and everything. So that's like so much at the pivotal, like of just my heart and everything. That's the core of my being. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to experience that one day. And so it's just been interesting, like the last like couple of decades of my life, how it's been continued to be full with sport and travel, like, you know, to all these races all around the world. And so that's just been interesting. Um, Yeah. And so I just think it will be really neat to like intertwine all of that together. And so I, I know a lot of my clients have been asking like, oh, are you going to quit triathlon, like not compete anymore because you're married. And my answer is, I don't think so. Like I, I want to continue and everything, but you know, you never know how life unfolds. So you have to take it with buoyancy and everything, but I'm excited for the possibility of continuing to compete at the highest level possible, um, in this new phase. And I know it'll be definitely different. I mean, probably won't have the volume or even the frequency that I would like to have, but you know, it's, it's like a nice blend. I feel like of, yeah, Mm -hmm. you will make it work. Hopefully we'll see. So for people that are listening, uh, triathlon, like when do you kind of like tap out? Like what's the oldest age? A a girl was 50 at the Ironman world championships as a pro. She was the first oldest professional ever okay tapped out yeah but um, that's not normal but that's not normal yeah. i would say your peak is 36 to probably 40 i would say and it's later than most sports obviously i mean most sports like 20 um low mm-hmm. 20s but the reason is because you you know have all those years of load on you and then you peak later and mm. during later 30s and it takes a lot so, of mental tenacity and maturity to race the sport well for yeah. sure yeah mm-hmm. so with the endurance, the Ironman athletes, the later 30s makes a big difference. Huh. But for yeah. me, I compete as an amateur. And so they have competitions until people are 80. So okay. it's right. basically yes. you can continue So she forever. can continue. But yeah. as a professional, you know, I had to make the choice like, okay, do I want to keep racing? Whereas a lot of people race and have, you know, kids and then come back. But since I am 40, you know, it was just not that I decided to try and start a family. We had two miscarriages and we're starting IVF um, on that journey. But if I was, you know, a lot younger or even in my mid thirties, I would have definitely come back to triathlon because you, you are actually a lot stronger um, after pregnancy. It's, it's, there's a thing. I mean, it's like blood doping, you know? Um, So a lot of, you know, my competitors, they had babies and then they took off to the next level and everything. Uh, But just, kind of with my age and everything, it just wasn't the most feasible, you know, thing. I mean, lady, um, athletes do it. They do, you know, still compete. And I had a plenty of competitors who were in their forties, but thankfully Megan is races an amateur. And then she's competing against people within a four year range. Whereas I competed with, you know, a couple 23 year olds to the 50 year old. So we were all grouped in the same field. Whereas Megan will be competing with, like just her age group. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So how can, for the listeners, how can they find out more about what y'all are doing? I know y'all have the run class Tuesdays, right? Still? We do. We have it on Tuesdays and then another one at 9am on Fridays. 
And then we have a local swim class too. And then yeah. other than that, everything's online. At Phil Now, Co- Phil now mm-hmm. Coaching yeah. on Instagram. Yes. I'll put it in the show notes, but cool. y'all have a website for that too? Yeah. It's just our name, philnowcoaching.com. philnowcoaching.com. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And y'all are separately on there too, right? We do. We have our own Instagram too. Is <laughs> <laughs> yours changed? Have you changed your name on on your Instagram? I guess did you change your email already? <laughs> I don't think I did actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> she will as soon as we get off. As soon off. as we get off, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Well, yeah. Anything else y'all want me to put in the show notes for people, I'll, I'll put it in there after the fact. So, But if there, did y'all, did y'all have anything else that y'all want to share today? No, David's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I know uh, I was talking to Ann next door because uh, she wants to do a collaborative thing after Thanksgiving with y'all at some nice. point. So awesome. Yeah. Um, potentially at South Park. So that, awesome. w- that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, congrats on the new marriage and stepping into all that. I know that's exciting. <laughs> What's better, new marriage or third in the world? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough coin flip probably, right? <laughs> some well, days one might be better. Some days another. Yeah. No, just kidding. Well, thanks ladies. Thank you so much for being here. I know we were trying to put it on the calendar like maybe two months ago. But that's all this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Too much on the plate. Yeah. <laughs> now you're in the off season though, right? Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. Awesome. All right, Bye. guys. Bye.